When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna the skate pod on weei welcome into episode 170 of the skate podcast i'm brian defelice joined by bridget prue and scott mclaughlin last time the bruins played was saturday at the garden on matinee and they was a pretty big showdown considering the recent deadline acquisitions by both the bruins and the rangers albeit neither team was at full strength or full roster capacity for different reasons but uh we got to see Tyler Bertuzzi for the first time as a Bruin. We got to see um, Patrick Kane as, as a Ranger for his second game. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think today's a, a good chance to kind of just break down, finally debrief the, the last couple of weeks that were pretty hectic. And now that we have a few days off from Bruins hockey, it's kind of a good chance to just kind of recap what the whirlwind has been. Um you know, Don Sweeney, one of the guys he picked up the deadline, Dmitry Orloff, was named uh, the first star of the week in the NHL. So I think that may have been a pretty good pickup by the Bruins. I think. <laughs> but um, anyway, guys, so just maybe some initial thoughts on the Rangers win. Uh, Bruins beat them 4-2. to two. I don't even know if I said that they beat them 4-2, to but they did. Um, and Bertuzzi's first game, first period as a Bruin, got an assist on Coyle's goal. So just your guys' first takes uh, about that game. Yeah, like you said, neither team was quite at full strength, but the Bruins were at least, you know, that could be their game one playoff lineup. You know, they didn't have Taylor Hall or Nick Felino, but they also might not have those guys for game one of the playoffs. So Bruins were pretty close to what's full strength for them right now. Uh, you know, Rangers were missing Ryan Lindgren and Keandre Miller on defense. Lindgren a little banged up. Keandre Miller was suspended for spitting on drew doughty um but yeah i thought you know bruins didn't start great certainly the first period and even the second but they get up to nothing um take advantage of their chances linus allmark steps up when uh when he was tested and then the bruins really took control in the third and i think you saw that you know 
at least against a Rangers team that's down two defensemen, Bruins clearly better, clearly able to outlast them uh, and, you know, really slam the door shut. I thought Orlov and McAvoy playing together was awesome. They, they were dominant. They got a lot of ice time against the Rangers' top two lines, which are now, you know, as loaded as any team's top six in the NHL. And uh, those those guys didn't get a lot of chances when they were out there against Orlov and McAvoy. So, you know, I think you saw that this version of the Bruins still better than the uh, the high-flying, sexy version of the New Look Rangers. Um, you know, I, you, I kind of thought you saw maybe some concerns about the Rangers that, you know, we can get into a little bit where it was like, Almost seems like maybe too many malts to feed. Like they, they didn't really seem to know exactly the best way to get Kane involved, especially on the power play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're going to have time to work that out. But, um, yeah, you know, I did kind of wonder. It's like, okay, yeah, they got two really flashy forwards in Kane and, and Tarasenko, but did they, you know, maybe pass on, on adding to other areas? Because, again, I know that defense wasn't their full-strength defense, but it's like, Boy, that was like Adam Fox and and four guys. Like that, you know, there was a there were a lot of defensemen out there for the Rangers who just didn't really look ready to defend against a team like the Bruins. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you you probably should have made a move for a defenseman when you have to roll out five defensemen. You don't even have a sixth defenseman to roll out two games after the actually. I think both games after the trade deadline. So like you come right out of the trade deadline and you're playing down a defenseman in a game, you know, against the best team in the league, um, you know, you're kind of in trouble. And then we also saw the, that Kane really, which is one of the criticisms we had about like the cons of adding Kane was that he doesn't like, he doesn't really care to get back on defense. It doesn't have, you know, either the effort or the speed or whatever to, to get back and play defense and was, he was out there on the ice for the shorty. Um, and yeah, they've had a hard time figuring out where to put him on the power play because their power play was doing so good. And then all of a sudden you think adding Patrick Kane to it, you're like, wow, look at this, this is going to be great. Um, but it actually has kind of just messed with the flow of it so far. Um, I don't, I don't see it being a long-term problem for them, but like these were some of the things when we were talking about maybe the Bruins adding Kane that we had, questions about um with him and as an addition to a team so it was just it was interesting but um to to go to the Bruins additions um particularly Bertuzzi because it was his first time getting in uh he fit in perfectly on that third line and he plays you know when you have him opposite opposite wing is Frederick those two guys you, you don't want to go into the corners with either of those guys and and Charlie Coyle's a, a you know, a strong forward as well. Like I say, you don't want to go into the corners with Bertuzzi and Frederick because they have that little bit of extra edge to them. But, um, you know, that whole line can win board battles. That whole line, I mean, did. Um, Bertuzzi gets, you know, the pass out in front to Coyle for that first goal of the game. And immediately, you know, you see Bertuzzi getting his first point, which seems to be like what's happened with all three guys that the Bruins have added. So you could see the fit right away. Obviously style is completely different than Taylor Hall, um, who he's ca- coming in for, but um, yeah, there there's, it was a good move. It was very 
smooth transition for him so far. And he's going to do so much better than he did in Detroit, in Boston. I saw that, and I don't play fantasy hockey. I know Scott does, that he was like trending as like one of the the top pickups for everybody this week because like he's going from a team that he wasn't able to get as much offense going for. But like everybody who joins the Bruins, just all all of a sudden they fit in and their their numbers are way better than they were before they came. Yeah, well, in five games, Orloff, I think, has, what, 80% of the points he had all year in Washington or something like that. So it, it definitely, uh, going to a team with this depth and structure definitely helps that. As far as the Rangers go, I feel like, on the one hand, I want to say what you guys said, which is they just seem to, to lack that two-way presence, especially up front. But, again, we're talking about two additions in Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, who have both won a Stanley Cup on Garden Ice before with their respective teams. So it's I don't it's not that they're incapable of, of playing winning hockey. I just it's for me, it's just a matter of are the right pieces around them. And I think in New York right now, I just think it's a little too it is a little too uh offensive minded. Like it's for me it's less about Patrick Kane and Tarasenko's ability to play defense, even though you know, it's not their specialty, but like I said, they've been parts of winning teams, clearly, um, and at the Bruins' expense. But for me, it's like, can Panarin do what it takes to win? Can Zibanejad do what it takes to win? Can, you know, whatever, just go down their list, Trocek, Kreider, like it's the, the, the kid line. Now, Lafreniere had a couple of goals, but neither one was one that would probably happen a second time. They were both kind of fluky. Um but as it pertains to the Bruins, so like, so like, the, did I learn anything about the Rangers and how the Bruins stack up against the Rangers or vice versa? Yeah, I kind of did. Like the Bruins just play it; they just play a a meaner, a meaner, more all around efficient style of hockey, and I think that they're better on paper too, um, top to bottom. But Bertuzzi and Frederick and Coyle, they they fit really well together. Uh, I know it was one game. I know it's tough to, for, for somebody to come in right away and fit in, but you kind of keep it simple. But what I liked about that first goal was just, again, not trying to do too much. Puts the pocket in the area where Frederick's able to go and, and corral it and um, and get in on the four check by, by going with the aerial dump in. And then from there, it was just, it was just basics, basic hockey, really. Do you guys – are you guys kind of pondering to yourselves – if and when Taylor Hall comes back or Nick Foligno comes back, but mainly Taylor Hall, are you concerned that when he comes back, the Bruins are going to be in a situation where they're sticking him on a line where he's had no chance to form chemistry with his line mates? Like, for example, if they if they put Trent Frederick on the fourth line and they do Coyle, Zaka, and Bertuzzi, now, like, does that concern you if it's like, game two or three of the playoffs and it's their first game together. I'm of the mind, good players stick them together. They'll figure out a way, but is that something that you thought about is, or is it just kind of like you haven't, you haven't your mind hasn't gone there yet? Um, I, I've thought about it a little and yeah, I think like the most natural formation would be, you know, go hall, Colt, Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi on your third line, assuming Bertuzzi is comfortable playing on the right side, which I think he's done a little bit in the past. Um, but, you know, I wonder if Montgomery even finds a way to try him there before then, you know, before. I heard, Mon- I heard Montgomery in one of his press conferences say he can play 
any position except for center. Which, yeah. So. Which t- tells me like they are going to want to try him on the right side uh, at some point before Taylor Hall returns. So I don't, you know, right now, like th- there's a very obvious fit there on the left side with Coyle and, and Frederick, but Montgomery did say he like, he's going to tinker a bit anyways, and things are going to get changed up as guys rest, which Montgomery continues to say, like he is going to do, you know, Bergeron and Krejci, especially like those guys are going to get games off. Uh, I would imagine Marshand and possibly even, you know, Pasternak, like on down the line there, everyone could rotate out at some point. So there's definitely going to be opportunities to tinker and move guys around. Um, but yeah, but you know, the thing about like, if say you go Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi, it's like that, that seems good on paper, but I also think Coyle, I think Coyle likes having like at least one bigger body with him, you know, one kind of grinder physical presence. And that's why you've seen him work well with Frederick. You've seen it work when Felino has been on that line. So, you know, like I would be, he- I would be hesitant to move Trent Frederick away from him. Although I did also think Frederick started to play pretty well as a fourth line center, but then you get into, mm-hmm. you know, is he going on left wing in that line? I would assume no six stays at center. And then, you know, if, and when Felina comes back, you have another issue. Like, but they're good. Problems. I think they're, yeah. They're, they're definitely good problems. And we know there can always be another injury or two before then. So, you know, you are getting ahead of yourself a little bit when you start to like wonder about all that. Um, but yeah, but I, I feel like Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi would make sense as as a third line when Hall gets back. But, you know, it's also hard to argue against the chemistry that Coyle and Frederick have had this year because they have been they have been really good. Yeah, and I guess the the question becomes like when Hall comes back, if Hall comes back, I guess we technically don't know um, what happens with Hathaway. Like you you add Hathaway for depth and and. You have to, you know, rotate him out of the lineup if Felino also comes back. Um, you don't know. But uh, just thinking of uh, Hall, Coyle, Bertuzzi line, <laughs> it's kind of like it. it's like blowing my mind a little bit because who would have thought that would be a freaking line? <laughs> like if you were to tell me, like, say before the Bruins even got Hall, like that, that at some point in time we were going to be watching a – Hall Coil Bertuzzi line together, I'd be like, what what the hell? And I'm I think well, you're you're crazy. Like it and, doesn't and, sound like a thing that would happen. Well, and you would have assumed that that was like a second line with Krejci out of the picture or something. Like, yeah. To have that like, is yeah, they're really line. taking a stab at this one. Like they're really just throwing everything together. Like, but no, uh, I don't mind that as a line at all. Um, and I think if you have to put Frederick on your fourth line, that's not an issue either. Um, it just becomes like maybe a rotational thing with fourth liners, like you're rotating either Hathaway or Felino out um, if Felino's back. So, and you know, that also creates a problem. If you're Greer, probably not a lot of opportunity. You're losing opportunities if you're Greer as well. Um, if Hall, both Hall and Felino come back, but I want to talk more about the, like the resting because that's now we're finally in the stretch where it seems like you can really start justifying resting more and more people. And uh, there's a few guys on the team that haven't sat a single game. 
and Pasta's one of them, Bergeron's one of them, but also Zaka and Coyle, um, and Lindholm. So those are all the guys that haven't had a single game off this season. And I feel like of those, obviously Bergeron probably first, but I feel like Lindholm, if you're a defenseman and you're playing the minutes he's playing, like rest him. I know he's, he's younger and he can, he can handle it, but um, at some point in time, getting him some rest would be pretty important. Yeah. And, and Montgomery did say on Monday uh, really for the, cause before when he was talking about the D rotation, he had said like, you know, I don't imagine McAvoy and Lindholm being a part of it, but on Monday he did say that those guys and Orlov could be part of it at some point as well. Uh, especially as the back-to-back start to pile up. So I do think there will be, you know, a game or two off for, for pretty much everyone, honestly, like I, I would be surprised if anyone gets to the end of the season playing every game. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you can't just put everybody in bubble wrap until the playoffs, right? And like that's that's kind of what that that's the fine line Montgomery has to has to has to straddle is like, yeah, I'm gonna give this guy off or that guy off, but you know how much is that really helping these guys in March? Like I feel like, and I said this last week, but I feel like the outside of the seven man defense and rotation up front you have two injuries, right? So it's like, they're not, they don't really have the luxury of just like sit. I mean, they can record wise, if they want to go for it. Um, and I think that there's a time and a place for it. Like as, as you get down towards the, the final couple of weeks of the season, I just think as, as we sit here today in early March, I just feel like is a guy really gonna remember, or is his body going to benefit from having, you know, a night off against the Oilers on March 10th you know a month from now i don't know i, I really me, don't know the answer to that yeah to me i feel like it might be more preventative like especially all these back-to-backs with travel it's like you know even even this weekend for example like if you can save someone a, a flight to detroit and having to play two games in you know 25 hours like go for it because guys are more likely to get hurt if you know if they're tired or or whatever, or a little worn down or even banged up from the day before. So that's, yeah, like the midweek games when, you know, you're off the night before, like that, that, yeah, I agree, doesn't, I don't know what that really does for you. But the back-to-backs, like all these Sundays with travel in between some of them, um, that's where it makes a little more sense to me, where it's like there's actually like a preventative element there of, you know, you're taking guys out of situations where they might be more likely to suffer an injury, strain something, whatever. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, and like, and Bridget, I don't know how you feel, but, like, every time I watch a game, just knowing how strong this roster is going to be at full health going into the playoffs, if they were at full health going into the playoffs, every game I watch, it's just I'm holding my breath. I'm just like, please, somebody don't don't take a shot off the finger, like, Ryan O'Reilly did. Don't take a shot off the inside of the kneecap like Austin Matthews did. Like it's because it, after all this time and after everything we've watched this season, for this team to like and and to be fair, Don Sweeney address certain needs where it's like if somebody does go down, they still have you know 
a very capable roster, but I just I just hold my breath watching these games now because you get to the point where it's like just don't get hurt in a game where you have a 15 point lead on the rest of the league and you're setting all these records and it doesn't really matter what happens until round one game one. Yeah, and you you're seeing like different games where like all right, Bergeron's got stitches on his eye. Krejci's got stitches on his eye. Marshawn leaves the game. Like, it, it, there's been a lot of calls where we're like, okay, close call, close call. Like, Bergeron just almost lost his eye. Like, um, so it's even just stupid stuff like that. But um, I don't have an issue resting people. Um, sometimes it, I know it's like some guys aren't probably going to want the rest, but um, I, I think it's it's going to benefit them. Um, obviously, we're still kind of a, a distance out. But what's exciting about that is um, we get to talk about and see some of the prospects and, and other players that have been down in Providence who, who we, at the beginning of the season, like we haven't talked about some of them since like uh, training camp and like uh, preseason and um, guys that, haven't had a chance to get in the lineup because the team is so stacked as we were just kind of talking about. So rotating in some of the guys from Providence. I know I saw McLaughlin, what happened to McLaughlin the other day was really a bloody mess. I don't know if you guys saw the fight he got into. I'm um, fine. Yeah. McLaughlin. Should see the other guy. I. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you you feeling okay? You got a concussion or something? But um, yeah, yeah I think I think he got his. I think Mark McLaughlin got his visor punched into his face. I think that's what drew all the blood. But yeah, that was that was pretty nasty looking. It was ugly. It was ugly. But anyway, um, that's just popped into my mind talking about maybe some of the guys that we might see when people are rotating out. Um. Yeah, I mean, J- Jacob Logo, you know, he gets called up and scores two goals last week. Like, he looks good right away, and I think he's probably going to get a couple more opportunities. I mean, A.J. Greer barely played three minutes against the Rangers. Like, they they basically rode three left wings for most of that game. So, you know, you kind of wonder, it's like, all right, well, if he's only playing three or four minutes, like, what's, you know, you might as well get Logo in there and see what he does. Like, if that's if that's all the confidence you have in Greer in, in a pretty big game is to only give him that much ice time, then yeah, you might as well take a look at some other options. And certainly like, I wouldn't want Lauko to sit for a long stretch after that game he had, you know, if someone goes out, scores two goals in their first game after getting called up. Like I think you should reward him. So like, I, I would have him in there on Thursday and, you know, see if he can maybe keep some momentum going because he, he absolutely could be part of this at some point. Like he's, you know, with all the injuries, he's your 13th, maybe even 12th if he passes Greer. So, um, yeah, I would give him more opportunities. I don't, you know, I don't know if McLaughlin's going to have to miss any time or, you know, when or if he would get another call up, um, you know, you know, like, you know, Chris Wagner's down. That's someone you probably don't really need to like, call up to give a look to you kind of know what you have there um you know if you need to use him at some point and then after that it's like then you get into like the more skilled guys and it's like well where are they at and you know i don't think they're going to be in the picture this year just because i i think you're probably too late in the season but you know uh obviously i sell the biggest name but georgie merkelov's been on fire in providence i just don't think there's going to be 
an opportunity to like get him a look because it's not going to be like past years where you can, you know, call up like six guys because one, some like the COVID rules allowed, made that a little easier. And two, they don't really have the cap space to make a bunch of call-ups. So you really are probably only talking about like one or two guys at a time that are going to be able to get a chance. So, um, you know, for now though, Loco's right there and I would definitely get him another couple games. Yeah. Like, like you said, Merkulov, I was just looking at the stats, got 42 points, but then there's Letary as well. Like that's somebody that we always forget, like to talk about when we talk about call-ups. Um, yeah. I, I meant to chat. I don't know if he, I don't know how, if he's still out or what exactly the injury situation is because that's a pretty serious injury that he suffered in practice. And I know, mm-hmm. you know, he's missed quite a bit of time already and I don't know if he's back yet or what his status is. Also, if we're talking about, and this is a person we used to talk about more in terms of rotating in before the Bruins had so like a deeper defense, but Jack Sean was somebody that we used to talk about, like rotating in um, who, I don't know if you see him at some point other than like the last week of the season, uh, is Beecher hurt? No, I don't know. I, I can't uh, say I've been following Providence super, super closely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Ashan's probably too far down the list because like even mm-hmm. like Mike Riley would get a chance before yeah. him if, you know, cap space allows. But uh, one guy I wanted to bring up was there was a good moment in the Rangers game with uh, with Thomas Nosek after his goal. He waved to his his wife in the crowd, the old. Uh, I think they used to call it the Armour Yager, but I think they're going to start going to call it the uh, the Thomas Nosek now. But um, just talk about maybe his impact since coming back into the lineup. He missed a lot of time uh, with his injury, and he came back and he scored a goal uh, against the Oilers, um, scored a goal against the Rangers. And it's, it wasn't long ago where Thomas Nosek was the most snake-bitten guy in the NHL for what seemed like a whole season. So just the, the impact he's made since coming back in that fourth line looking like it has so far with him. Yeah, I think he's and and Montgomery's maybe even used this terminology or something close to, but he's like he's just a security blanket. Like you can just throw him out there for any D zone draw. Obviously, he's you know when he's playing, he's one of your top two penalty killing forwards with with Coil in terms of ice time. Um, and you know you he's good on faceoffs. So like he he can do all all that dirty work, all that unsexy stuff and yeah great that he's also scored added a couple goals in recently but like that's not even what he's there for it's it's just take a you know a lot of d-zone shifts face top competition um and ease some of that defensive workload from you know your other guys who then can go have offensive zone shifts and score more um you know and when he was out it's like frederick did a solid job there, but like, it's also not the ideal spot for like you're, you're using that line different when it's Frederick, because Frederick, you do still want to get him some offensive opportunities. Uh, he's not as used to being buried in the D zone like that as Nosek is. So he's not as good on face off. So you don't have the same level of trust of throwing him out there in any situation late in the game, you know, like, I mean, they'll throw Nosek out there, like, with a Bergeron or Krejci or Coyle, um, depending on, like, what side of the ice the draw's on, or just to have 
a second option if one of those guys gets booted from the faceoff circle. So, you know, Montgomery loves using him in that way. And, you know, he's really like, he's the only guy on the roster who can, who can really do that. So it's, you know, no one's going to call Tomas Nosek irreplaceable. He's not, I don't want to like go crazy over the top, but what he does bring is, is valuable for sure. Yeah. And, and the goal, like, the goal against the Rangers was a shorthanded goal. And that seems to be where he's most valuable is on the penalty kill. Um, he's one of their best penalty killers. Charlie Coyle is great as well in terms of forward penalty killers. But, um, yeah, that's that's his value. Um, and he's he seems to have come back and I don't think looks like he has any sort of lingering issues. Um better fit on the fourth line as center than Frederick for sure. Totally two different styles of players, two different kinds of personalities. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen no sick fight someone. Um, I'm sure there's a video somewhere, but um. he did I think, was it earlier this season? He like stood up for Bergeron. Someone was had that really Bergeron. Much, it wasn't uh, a fight. If I remember correctly, Burroughs on Vancouver. Yeah. Pasternak. Oh and yeah, then, pass and, and then he and then he, then he fed Nosek his lunch. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty, but you know, points. Oh, and, and the guy and the guy in uh, actually no, he did okay in that one. He just kind of wrestled him to the ground. The one where he actually got fed fed his lunch was in Colorado with uh, Dryden Hunt before he got tr- traded to Toronto. Oh yeah. Anyway, that's not his role. That's and they don't need that to be his role because they have all these other guys that can actually do stuff like that when you need them with you know Hathaway Greer Frederick even Felino it just goes down the line um did you guys want to talk about the fact that defensively Grizzlick has been rotated back out um and just thoughts on because we're talking about rotation but um yeah Grizzlick is the first one to sit twice yeah and you know so you got one game each for four different guys and the rotation order the first time through went Clifton, Grizzlick, Carlo, Forbort. So had they strictly followed that, it would have been Clifton again on Saturday. And like you said, it wasn't, it was Grizzlick. Um, I, you know, Montgomery never said, and, and I never thought it was going to be just a strict one, two, three, four order. You know, he'd even said like there would be some consideration to matchups, to reason workloads, you know, bumps and bruises, all that. Um, so Grizzly being, you know, the first one to sit twice, it's interesting. I wouldn't read too much into it unless he now sits again, like within the next game or, you know, a couple games. You know, like if he gets to three before one of those other guys even gets to two, now. I think that starts to tell you something. And I'd said before, I think on maybe the last podcast we did, like Grizzly had a couple games where he was only playing 14, 15 minutes. And that usually tells you a story as well. Um, but then the last game that he did play on Thursday against Buffalo, he played 19 minutes and I thought it played really well. So it's like, okay, well that, you know, kills that narrative a little bit. His ice time went up and he seemed to handle it pretty well. Um, but yeah, it, if you had to bet right now, I think it does seem like he's probably the odd man out. He's probably the seventh guy. 
Orlov being paired with McAvoy looks really good. I think, you know, Montgomery was asked on Monday if there's like one place he's liked Orlov the most. And, and he danced around, you know, he said, no, I think he's looked good everywhere. But to me, I think he's like the best with McAvoy and, you know, shocker. Like, like that's not a revelation. A lot of guys are going to look like they're going to look their best playing next to McAvoy. Um, but that really seems like a good fit. Yeah, it's it's the most natural substitution. Like if if you're if you really think about it, guys, Don Sweeney did not go out there and acquire Dmitry Orlov to upgrade Derek Forbert or to upgrade Clifton or even Carlo because I'm he he did it to upgrade Matt Grizzlick. He did it to upgrade that that natural top four left defenseman, and that's not that's not saying that Matt Grizzlick isn't capable at that position in that role. But if they wanted to win a cup, I, Don Sweeney felt like we need to upgrade there in certain areas, and those areas being a little more nasty, a little more physicality, a little more experience in winning. And that's Orloff brings those things. I mean, he has nine points since being a Bruin. I think it might be ten. I think it's nine. Yeah. And yeah. And, and yeah, it's. I think when you boil it down, it's that. That's what they did, guys. They went out and they 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 acquired Dmitry Orloff as an upgrade to Matt Grizzly. It's the most natural explanation when you, and I mentioned this last podcast, but when you go up and down their decor, every single guy brings something unique to that blue line, something that they can add to a specific game and a playoff series. And Matt Grizzly has unique uh, skill sets to add to until you bring in Dimitri Orloff. And now you have some redundancy plus what Orloff brings that, Matt doesn't bring and I just think that's what you're seeing here that's not to say that Matt's not going to play the rest of the year they're going to keep this rotation going but if you're asking me what the what the what the day one playoff roster is it's what you've seen it's what you saw against the Rangers that's that's what they want to do they like that third pair Forbert and Clifton and they should they've done a great job all year at what their role is and obviously Scott spoke to McAvoy and and Orlov's chemistry and I think they like the range and the defensive shutdown ability of Lindholm and Carlo together. You, if you're if you're a forward playing against Carlo and, and Lindholm, what's that wingspan you're going you're, you're trying to come down on against? And obviously Lindholm has a lot more to his game than just defensive defense. But I, I think they like that they like those pairs. And I think it's 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 as simple as saying they they upgraded um, Grizzly with Orloff. And I think that's kind of what they were you know expecting was going to happen as well. Related, but not exactly related. Um, Bruins power play hasn't looked great. And this just popped into my mind to bring up because of when you add Orlov, you also add a guy that you might be able to add to the power play. And I think that, you know, he had that power play goal, the one timer from the right circle. Um, And you wonder if maybe they try him power play to try to get that back on track um not saying replace McAvoy I'm saying like if you go to defenseman power play um just as an option for you 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 have an, a new option over there because that was a really nice goal and I'd like to see them try that again well I'll, I'll say it I'll say replacing McAvoy is absolutely on the table because quite frankly I don't think McAvoy's really been great for quite a while running that top unit um I think he just gets too deferential and it's like, yeah, his, his passes over to Pasternak for one time is they're usually right on the tape, like no issues with that, but you've got to be able to do more. And I think to one, 
McAvoy's shot in and of itself isn't really a weapon. And two, I think he's too hesitant to use it. Like, and Montgomery even kind of touched on this Monday. He was asked about this and said, you know, like they've talked and they want him to have the same attacking mindset he has five on five. Like you'll see McAvoy at five on five be very aggressive and drive and, and get down low and use a shot. And then on the power play, you know, Montgomery said it's like, well, he wants to make sure Pasternak gets his touches and Bergeron gets his touches and Marshan gets his touches. And it's like, yeah, that's part of being the quarterback for sure. But you also, you have to take your chances when they're there. And I think it's fixable. You know, McAvoy can get that on track and be more aggressive. But the fact that that unit is struggling, like it does raise the possibility of, well, what would Orlov look like there? Um, you know, I don't know if he's as good of a distributor as McAvoy. I don't feel like I've really what you know, had enough up close viewings yet. And certainly not on the power play because the capitals never used them on the power play because they had John Carlson. So you would have to see what it looks like. And you know, it's possible you'd get him there and he's not a good enough distributor, but what you do know that Orlov has is a shot. That's actually a weapon. And that would be a different look on the top unit and maybe something that would help get them going because, um, you know, yeah, you could look at changing other things too, but I think if you're looking at changing personnel and Montgomery has acknowledged that that's something he's thinking about, uh, that's the most obvious spot to make a change, you know, other, otherwise it's, well, you know, are you taking Marshand off? Like, would you put Orlov in Marshand's place? That's, that's kind of tough. You know, I, I don't, again, it would be a different look that could create something. Orlov, I think has a better shot than Marshand on a one-timer, you know, not maybe a wrister walking in, but you know, what, what does that do if you're taking Marshand off like that? I don't know how well that goes over. Yeah. I'm, I'm open to seeing other looks on that, on that unit. Uh, obviously I feel like McAvoy has the potential to, to be that prominent quarterback back there, but you guys have made good points and I, and I, and I don't disagree with them. He's definitely been, reluctant to get the puck to the net he's he's he is uh overthinking certain things and and you don't have a lot of time on a power play you have two minutes so you gotta you gotta you gotta be be decisive and, uh, and efficient but uh you know i also so i, I wouldn't mind seeing orloff get a look i suppose uh i i feel like i feel like the best the power plays looked all year was 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 lindholm back there like i just feel like lindholm has that 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 IQ to like like a la like Eric Carlson or Brent Burns or like John Kling, Klingberg where like he can just kind of straddle the line and f- whether it's just a quick you know side to side shuffle or or edge work or whatever he can just kind of deceptively get the pucks in that pretty quick and not like not a huge back scratcher just like he knows where to put it in front of the net and just get it there. Um. So that could be an option too, but I just feel like at this stage in the game, like they've been with McAvoy for so long, it's hard for me to envision them going to like a top unit look with Lindholm the rest of the way, but maybe they do, and maybe they should. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know if they want to send a, a, a bad message to McAvoy, but, but I do think Lindholm has that ability to kind of create chaos back there where like he just gets the puck to the net 
Um, and then the PK gets scrambling, and now those seams open up for other more design passes and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, the power play has been a one of the lower spots, I guess, about this team this year. If you wanted to pick on one, what's their what's their current? And I'm going to put you guys in the spot here, but what's their power play currently ranked in the league? Is it still top 15? Because it seems like it's struggling to our eyes, but is it on a league on a league scale? I'm curious if it's dropped beneath the first, you know, first 10, 15 teams. Because every every other category, they're like top two or three in this league. One, yeah, two, or three. My my guess is they're still top half. Um, but I I know that I think it's the last 15 games. Was that the segment I looked at? They're five for 49, so like just over 10 percent. So they're seventh, I believe. Yeah. So so, so yeah, and you know. To Brian's point, like a lot of they, they've had success with these five guys who are on the top unit. Like, you know, it's not like these guys have never done it, um, but it gets into that area of like, well, how long do you want to ride it before you try making? You know, they've Montgomery's given them a lot of leash here. Like he's he's let this ride for pretty long without really making any changes to that top unit. So, you know, do you? just stick with that and ultimately trust these guys and, and trust, you know, it's really Montgomery and Gruden who kind of run the power play, you know, trust yourselves to, okay, we can fix it with these five guys or, you know, do you have to make a change to see what something else looks like? Um, yeah. I mean, you are, you know, it, it seems like you still have plenty of time, like, you know, over a month left in the regular season, but if guys are going to be rotating in and out, that's going to probably include some of the guys in that unit. So in terms of actual game time, you might not have as much time as you think. So, yeah, I think they've got to make that decision pretty soon as to whether, all right, we're just going to ride it out with, with this group and, and we trust them to, to get on track or we want to start taking a look at some other stuff. Yeah. And, and looking at the, the power play stats, um, Toronto and uh, Tampa Bay both have better power plays than you. But if you're talking about just a special teams matchup in general in the playoffs, you still like the Bruins. Like their, their penalty kill is just so good. Like um, in terms of like whether or not you'll be scored on more or score more in a special teams matchup in the playoffs, I still like the Bruins chances of at least keeping that, an even matchup let's like they're not behind in a special teams matchup in the playoffs even though their power play could be better we know it could be better it's just it's their special teams in general be, especially because of their penalty kill is so good i don't see as a, one of their like liabilities in the playoffs yeah for sure you're right and like i i you know basically said something similar in sunday skate which is like yeah because the penalty kill is so good if a game turns into a special teams battle, you still at least like the Bruins chances of breaking even um, as long as the penalties aren't so lopsided that they're just always on the kill. Uh, but, you know, the other point I made is like, okay, yeah, they won a Stanley Cup in 2011 without a power play. Their power play sucked that whole postseason. But that was a different era. Like this you know, which it really was like, that was 12 years ago. It's basically a different era. The league's more high scoring. So so old. Yeah. So it's like, 
point on Sunday where me, Scott, and Razor were just sitting in the studio going, oh my God, we're old. <laughs> well, Razor's the oldest, though. He's He's got a speed, so... Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to try to survive a, a postseason with a struggling power play. Like you, you want that to, to be a weapon for you. Well, the Bruins might have a, a little bit of power play trouble right now, but they have everything else going for them. On the other hand, Tampa Bay, maybe they have the better power play on the record or in the stat sheet, but they, they are not the Tampa Bay that we've, uh, we've watched really the last you know, decade, but certainly the last three years here, uh, three, four years. Now, if you're at Tampa Bay, the ideology still applies. Let's get to the playoffs and, 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 and we'll buckle it down. But this seems to feel a little bit different. If John Cooper, he, he benched his top guys for an entire period. It didn't pay dividends. The following game against Carolina, they went shotless in the second period. They got smoked in the game. Um, if you're Toronto, you have to be feeling pretty good. I know they have a couple injuries that they just suffered, but this this might be the best time to catch Tampa Bay in a first round series. The the Lightning playing playing rope dope. They're getting Toronto's hopes up, and then they're just gonna just gonna crush them in the first round. No, it you know you're right. It's like you look at the Lightning and you assume they're they're gonna figure it out. You know, yeah, they're two five and three in their last ten now. Uh, you just expect that group to get on track, but boy, like it definitely took a turn for the worse over the weekend with, with that benching you mentioned of uh, Stamkos, Point, and Kucherov, and then just getting absolutely shellacked by Carolina the next day, 6 nothing. Like that's the Lightning better hope that's the low point. And, you know, now they start to rebound, but yeah, that, that does not look good. And, and we've kind of said all year, like it doesn't, quite look like the same team like some certainly some of their depth has finally been sapped and you know all they really did the deadline was Tanner Janot and and Mikey Isomon who you know Janot can be a really solid third liner he's been more probably fourth line production this year and Isomon's like a rotational forward like that's like a 12th 13th forward so yeah they didn't do a ton and you wonder like is that really enough especially when you look at what the Bruins have done and, and what Toronto's done um yeah I mean if, if that series were starting right now the you would absolutely have to say the Leafs are the favorite and we know Tampa's experience we know Vasilevsky who by the way at times hasn't really looked like Vasilevsky this season so um yeah still time for them to figure it out and I think you still would expect them to but Definitely not not pretty for them right now. It's not that's not the way you want to come out of the trade deadline and you know hit your stretch run. Yeah, and and I think something you said before we jumped on the podcast was like just taking a chance to reevaluate where everyone you know after seeing what the new additions look like on teams, where do people stand? And so you're getting to that point. Like first of all, and this conversation kind of annoys me because I don't know why, but like. Carolina not doing much of anything and the only thing I ever hear from NHL reporters or whatnot that like whenever they're talking about it is like oh you know don't don't broke don't fix what ain't broken or whatever um it's like well you still could have you know made made it better I don't I don't know um but you see them beat up on Tampa Bay um 
you we got to look at the Rangers firsthand at the Garden. Um, Toronto, like we're we're getting a look at the way that things are shaking out after the deadline. And honestly, the Bruins seem to be in the best shape um, of of the teams after the deadline in terms of actually being able to use the guys the way that they intended to. They're using every single person and getting as much as you could probably expect from all three guys they added. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know what's you know what's crazy is I look at the as you mentioned, Bridget, we just watched them play the Rangers. I know the Rangers were missing a couple of guys, but so were the Bruins. Um saw them play the Rangers. We've seen them play Tampa all year. They've handled them well. We know what Toronto is. You know, they've improved, but we know what they are for the most part. With you know, the Bruins should beat them, all things considered. It's crazy to me that despite the lack of movement at the deadline for the Hurricanes, they still scare me the most in the conference. They just do. They just they just play they just play uh synchronized. They seem to have the most team chemistry. They seem to they seem to understand who they are more so than any other team that the Bruins would play. And yeah, they didn't go out there and get a big fish and we'll see if they end up resenting that. Um, but they still scare me the most. They really do. I don't know, Scott. I don't know. I don't know who who puts the fear of God into you if you're if you're a Bruins fan or a Bruins player. But Carolina, for me, despite the lack of movement, they still seem like the toughest out if the Bruins have to play them. Yeah, I agree. Just because goals and scoring chances are going to be so hard to come by against that team, they, you know, you talk about them like playing as a team. That especially shows up on the defensive end where they are as stingy as anyone. Um, that was a really frustrating series last year too. Like you saw that. Yeah. Like, you know, we exactly like we can sit here and say, oh, well, they kind of lack the star power of a top scorer and they do, but they didn't have that last year either. And they still beat the Bruins and the Bruins did have star power last year. Like, you know, they, yeah, they didn't have crazy, but like most of their top guys were, were there. So, um, yeah, that's just it's a really tough team to play against. Uh they're not they're not gonna give you anything. Like every other team I look at, I'm like, oh yeah, like they could give you some mistakes. They can make mistakes and give you some goals. And maybe Carolina's goaltending might do that. They've had, you know, a lot of ups and downs in net this season, but the team defense in front of the goalie, they're not. I mean, I feel like the Bruins took them to seven last year. So while while I still feel like they're the biggest threat in the East this year for the Bruins, like <laughs> you're talking about a Bruins team after taking Carolina the seven last year, you're talking about a Bruins team that added Krejci, Zaka, Orloff, Bertuzzi, Hathaway in his role. That's five players right there that like just impact players for what they bring to the Bruins team. They just didn't have on the team last year. So yeah, and I say that if you had Krejci last year, if you didn't take the year off, you probably get through Carolina. Like possible, you, yeah. Yeah, like it, if you had that, I don't know. Um, that was just a thought. When Krejci came back, I was like, they really could have used you in the playoffs. <laughs> um, and we had had conversations last year about oh, what if he comes back before you know the deadline? Like, could he could he make a move back to Boston before the playoffs? Blah blah blah. It's all past is the past but i i had that thought at the time it was like they were missing if they had crazy that i i just think they might have had enough to get through that game seven or, or 
you know, take an earlier game, I should say, and, and get through Carolina. And they also were missing McAvoy and Lindholm at different times in that series. Now, mm-hmm. on the one hand, you can say, well, yeah, they missed, they, they were missing Lindholm because it was because of something Shreshnikov did, which was a clean, open-ice hit. So that's the result of the, the series. McAvoy was more of a – after nobody had been out of the lineup for COVID symptoms or reasons for, like, months, McAvoy just really got that, like, after game one or something. I think they actually won the game that both those guys were out, so I guess it's kind of a, a moot point. But, yeah, I mean, the Bruin, the personnel-wise, the Bruins are in a much, much, much different position than they were playing Carolina last year if they were to play. But just the the threat of that team, they, they, they're still hungry and they're still capable over uh, down in Carolina. Um, I know Toronto has they've, – they've hit a few hiccups here with, with some, some bad injury luck to O'Reilly and Matthews, as we talked about off the top. Was there any other league news you guys – that was worth mentioning while we uh, while we have the time here, or Bruins news that you, we didn't get to. No, I mean the only thing I was going to mention is just what Connor McDavid is doing is absolutely insane. He now has multiple goals in six of his last eight games, uh, including the the game, including the game against the Bruins in Edmonton. And hey, here he comes again Thursday night at the Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor McDavid and the Oilers coming to town. So. Um, you know, Bruins have obviously shown, hey, they can go up against a Red Hot McDavid and still he'll get his and they'll still win the game. But just and just so entertaining to watch. I was watching their game Monday night against Buffalo. And it's like it, it really is special. Like it looks like he can just create scoring chances and finish at will. And it's like, man, like you, I haven't seen any, anyone do that in a long, long time. Just be able to take over and make it look so easy the way that he does. And he is on really like the hottest stretch of his career right now, which is saying something. <laughs> this used to annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but this, this past week when the Bruins played the Oilers, I was like, nah, it's, it's real. Whenever, whenever people go, Oh, it's the Bruins against McDavid. It's like, no, it really was the Bruins against McDavid. And it, it really is just like team first. McDavid. Like that's what it feels like with how good he's playing. It's like, you're, that's what you have to, go up against is mainly just worry about McDavid first. Um, But it used to bother me when I was like, okay, the the Boston Bruins play Alex Ovechkin. And it's like, well, there's other people on the team. But then when you watch the Oilers, you're like, well, it's kind of, it's kind of McDavid. I know they have other good players, but that's, that's who's just like, all of a sudden you turn around, you you blink for half a second and you're, you're screwed. That said, the, they did they did make an improvement where they needed to improve on the back end with Matthias Ekholm. So, like, you know, we've been saying for how long, right, that, man, the Oilers are top-heavy. They rely on, as Bridget just mentioned, McDavid and Dreisaitl, and, and they don't have defense to kind of back it up or goaltending. But, you know, you look at their decor right now, and we're going to get a look at it, as you guys said on Thursday, but you have a guy in Darnell Nurse now who I think has his flaws for sure. But he's a big, physical, mean, young defenseman, younger defenseman. You had uh, at Colm, like I mentioned, uh, big, strong, shutdown defenseman that Bruins fans have talked about in the past, in past deadlines. Should we grab him? He'd be a great fit, uh, and he would. He, you know, he would be. Um, so I think I, and I think they went. They got uh, Bukestad too, Nick Bukestad from Arizona. So he's yeah. a big body up front. Um, they shipped out Tyson Berry and. Um, uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, but yeah, I mean, like, I think the Oilers are a team. If you're if you're in the Western Conference, they improve where they need to improve, and I think that's that bodes 
bodes well for them in the playoffs. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised with the addition of Ekholm just helping st- stabilize their back end. And then obviously McDavid just doing what McDavid does and dry settle and, you know, quietly Nugent Hopkins is having a t- top 10 scoring season right now for, uh, in, in the league for Edmonton. So, yeah, I mean, I think I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the Oilers, who went to the conference finals last year, end up representing the West in the cup finals because they have they have improved their, their defense in the, uh, in theory. Yeah, and they, that I'm looking at the the standings, like the, the wildcard standings in the West, and it's like everybody is within like five points of each other from wildcard up to the top. Like um, the Oilers are four points behind. They're in the wildcard right now, but they're four points behind being in first. So um, it's just it's it's a weird top. Like everybody at the top is within that small amount of points of each other. So they're going to have an interesting finish to the season like those top eight teams. And even, even if you go a little bit further down um, below that, it's, it's kind of a weird situation out there. And then we, we forget that Colorado is right now just barely in the playoffs, but um, it's like I said, they're, they could end up first. They could end up eighth. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, we have no idea at this point. There's not like an indication like in the East that the Bruins are going to be the top team. It's, it's still up for grabs out there. Yeah, the the East and West playoff races have kind of flipped from a year ago. Last year it was the East was all set and the West had this crazy battle to get in. This year you have all these teams in the wildcard race in the East and the West it kind kind of seems like the top 8 might be just about set. Like yeah, you still have Nashville and I guess even Calgary sniffing around, but it doesn't really feel like those teams are going to be able to make a push. Um, you know, Nashville was sellers at the deadline, so mm-hmm. it would be surprising if they kind of rally and, and end up making it. Calgary is five points out, but the, the Avalanche are in eighth, but the Avalanche have three games in hand on Calgary. So, you know, Calgary has also been losing more and more recently. Yeah. What, what a really disappointing season for them. Like that was a team that had some cup dreams like they, you know, but even after, obviously, like they had to turn things over, losing Gaudreau and Kachuk, but you thought, you know, Huberto, Kadri, Uyghur, like they'd maybe filled filled in those spots and would still be competitive, but really just hasn't happened for them this year. I mean, I think I think they may they may be a casualty of outdated coaching. Like Daryl Sutter, obviously, is a well established coach. He's a winning, he's a championship coach, um, but. We, you see it all the time where, you know, uh, it, it just doesn't mesh and the styles don't mesh. And I think Sutter still tries to lock things down and, and there's a time and a place to do that. But maybe that, that, that could explain some of it to me because how does, how does Jonathan Huberto go from, what, 120 points last year, whatever the hell it was, to what's he got, like 70, 60? I don't, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's – I mean, he, good thing he, he was able to cash in after last year, but he's not the same player at all. And I, I saw it as a bad sign that Kachuk wanted out and Goudreau wanted out and you're losing like your two of your like your better players and kind of like the faces that you've tried to like be the face of your franchise. So like the fact that those guys didn't want to stick around, you go, oh, it's kind of, you know, what what's going on up there? I don't really know exactly what might be going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean – 
unfortunately, some of that was like COVID related. I know for Gaudreau in particular, like he just wanted to get out of Canada. Like he hadn't seen mm-hmm. family in like two years. So, um, you know, because all all the restrictions on travel and everything. So and, and I don't know enough about Kachuk and, you know, what exactly his situation was. I know it seemed like he wasn't going to resign there, obviously. Uh, but yeah, Gaudreau, I think he was getting out of Canada no matter what. All right, so the Bruins next play on Thursday night at the Garden. They take on New Orleans, as we mentioned. Followed they take by... on Connor McDavid. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, they have, they have some guys. They have some guys. Um, <laughs> but, yes, mainly Connor McDavid. Um, and then they get a they get a home-and-home home series with the uh, the Red Wings this weekend as well. So Bertuzzi Bowl. Yeah, a good chance for Tyler Bertuzzi to to um, make his impact known. I mean, Detroit's – They've they've they were sellers. I mean, they they got rid of uh, Bertuzzi, obviously. Um, Ronak they they sent over to Vancouver. Um, Jacob Rana went to St. Louis. I'm sure there's a couple others I'm missing. Oscar, Oscar Sunquist went to Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, Jinxio, Minnesota. Um, and um, yeah, so it should be six points. Well, it should be four points for the Bruins against the Red Wings. Uh, if you have any interest about the Bruins trying to tack up or stack up their point total as much as they can, Edmonton will see. Um, but anyway, Bridget and Scott, did you have anything before we before we go? No, I don't think so. I'll, I'll tease. I'm writing something up for the site about uh, just how – I've mentioned this on the podcast a couple of times, like keeping track of – how much better the Bruins goaltending has been than even second place in the league. And as of Monday, when I looked at, they were Bruins are now at nine thirty team save percentage and Dallas is second at nine sixteen. And the league average, by the way, is nine Oh five. And like, if the Bruins keep those margins up, we're talking about historic stuff in terms of how far ahead of the field they are. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. I'll, I'm going to be writing something in the next day or two. I look forward to reading that. Bridget, do you have anything else? Um, no, I'm good. You sure? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Xerxes right. does Xerxes have anything? Xerxes does. Xerxes. He's... <laughs> Luckily, he's been asleep. But yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.